Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, where we talk about all things healthcare, burnout, culture, and leadership. I'm your co-host, Jessica Zampetri. And I'm Becky Wolf, and I am so excited to welcome our guest today. Today with us, we have Michael Asbeck, who is a physician assistant in psychiatry. He is the Associate Director of Intervention Psychiatry at Dent Neurologic Institute. He's also a clinical professor of psychiatry at Davin College, DeUville University, and Rochester Institute of Technology. Dr. Asbeck received a master's and physician assistant studies from Damon College and his doctorate of medical science with a concentration in healthcare leadership. Dr. Asbeck is a member of several several professional organizations and associations, including the American Academy of Physician Assistants, the Association of Physician Assistants in Psychiatry. He serves as the chair of industry relations for the New York State Society of Physician Assistants. Dr. Asbeck is a nationally recognized educator who also participated in several national meetings and congresses. He's provided over 300 lectures on behalf of the the pharmaceutical industry and medical education companies. His areas of interest include healthcare policy, continuing education, treatment-resistant depression, bipolar disorder, and emerging treatment of medical illness. Mike, welcome to the podcast. So Mike, I'm curious. So um, you have studied a lot about different careers that uh, in medicine clinicians can take on even, you know, right next to clinical practice. So can you speak to some of those that you've researched and maybe some that you're doing or know of other clinicians, what they're doing? Sure. I'll, I'll start with my story and that maybe contextualizes why I've become maybe a little bit of a, a niche expert in this. I am a PA. I'm in psych. I've worked for the same company for the past 10 years and I love what I do. I, I'm blessed to say that I've never had a bad day at my job. Certainly I've had stressful days. I've had uh, you know days with very difficult patients or difficult outcomes, but I've never once gotten out of bed and thought I can't go to work today. And I I consider myself blessed because I know that not every person in healthcare can say that. About five or six years into my job, I was approached by a pharmaceutical company and they indicated that they were looking for speakers and specifically they were looking for PAs and NPs to become speakers because more and more PAs and NPs are prescribing medications. In psychiatry, they're becoming a greater portion of the prescribing, um, you know, pool. So industry was looking for more peer-to-peer focused marketing. And I had never considered this as a career option. I had never considered this as a side hustle, but I'm a bit of a nerd. I like to educate. I was already precepting at schools. So I jumped in with both feet and it was terrifying because I was, you know, going in front of people that were definitely smarter than me and definitely had far more experience than me, but I really enjoyed it. And what I found that was so amazing with it is that it motivated me to become an expert or become as close to an expert as I could be in that topic. So if I was preparing to give a presentation, I would spend hours reading up on it, reading up on the neurobiology, reading up on all of the past studies that had been done. And it really served as a vehicle for me to continue to advance my knowledge, both clinically, but then also outside of the clinical world. So that was kind of the start of it in 2015, 2016. Um, I then in 2016 got mobilized with the Army Reserve and spent a year down in Texas where I was in the Department of Deployment Medicine. But one of my roles there is I oversaw 15 civilian providers. So this was my first time where I was in a a true leadership role, but it was also more of a non-clinical role where my job was more administrative, overseeing how many patients we saw in the clinic, overseeing the providers, dealing with, you know, everybody calling in when they had diarrhea and all the things that you get to deal with as a manager. I will never, ever complain about managers again. It's a tough job. But after that, I kind of realized that 
there's a whole other side to healthcare that as clinicians, we really don't have any exposure or education on. And that's the business of medicine, how we effectively deliver healthcare, how we market healthcare, how we educate patients, how we educate providers. And I really started to get more and more interested in that side of things. So while I continued to practice clinically as a psych PA, I started doing more consulting work for pharmaceutical companies, for medical education companies, and then also doing more digital marketing. And over the past few years, it's just continued to grow where um, really my income is quite diversified, but about half my income now comes from consultant work that is usually non-clinical, more on the the marketing of healthcare, the business of healthcare side of things. So that was how my journey somewhat um, motivated or inspired me because although I've never felt burnt out in my clinical job, I think one of the reasons for that is over the past five years, I've really done a nice job of diversifying my day-to-day experience and what I do each day is a little bit different. It's not mundane or repetitive. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think um, there's opportunities there and just learning about them is really the key because often these healthcare providers just don't know what's out there or they're not aware of what's out there. So um, I've been trying to, you know, shout from the rooftops as we started this, that there are opportunities and you just need to be aware of what they are and how they are and have a plan on how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I want to anchor in on the business part of medicine that you were talking about. How, what's a good way for a surgeon, a physician, or a clinician to get more knowledgeable on the business side of healthcare? I think there's multiple paths. I'm a big believer that you do not need to go spend money to get a piece of paper, you know, in terms of another degree, unless you're really, really motivated and have a very clear career path. For example, an MBA may help if you want to go into hospital administration, but if you're unsure what you want to do and you just think, I don't want to be a clinician forever, just getting an MBA just for the sake of it probably is not what the route you need to go. And the reason for that is that there is so much opportunity online to learn without having to pay tuition dollars. I'm a big fan of uh, MOOCs, which is Massive Online Open Courseware, and Harvard has it, um, Coursera, edX, LinkedIn Learning. There's many opportunities where you can find free courses, um, whether it be in the business of medicine, um, coding, you know, medical informatics. There's many opportunities where if you have an interest, if you say, okay, I really enjoy the process of getting insurance approval. We'll pick something that probably nobody enjoys, (laughs) but... You know, if you really That's are a, a nerd, kind of person. <laughs> no, right. if, if you're interested in that, call us. But if you are really intrigued by the process of, um, you know, how insurance approves things and, you know, will approving this end up being cost effective in the end, then like a utilization review type of job with an insurance company or with a health system would be a great non-clinical career path. And there's a lot of opportunities to learn about that, to gain certifications without ever having to spend a single dollar on tuition to go get a master's in health administration or anything like that. So I think really the internet has offered us an opportunity where if you have a path, if you have a plan, you can put together a, uh, a learning, um, you know, pathway or roadmap that allows you to eventually pivot into that job without having to spend a ton of money when you probably have already spent several hundred dollars on your clinical education. Yeah. And I think 
the physicians that I work with, some of them, some of the hesitation is that they haven't diversified in those ways. Mm -hmm. So they Mm -hmm. have done exactly that 12 to 15 years in a specialty medicine and all of that. So when you got into this business consulting side, what skills did you realize were transferable and which ones did you kind of realize that you really needed to work on? I think most people that are in healthcare don't realize that they are in a customer service position. You know, so much of healthcare is interacting with patients, but even beyond that, interacting with other healthcare professionals that are part of a team. And there's a lot of soft skills that you learn in clinical practice. There's a lot of opportunity to learn, you know, what patients are looking for, what patients need, what patients are prioritizing. And that information can become immensely valuable if you switch over to the business of medicine. I think some of the areas that clinicians are lacking, areas that we always need to grow, is 90 to 95% of our training is probably clinically focused. If we're going to medical school, if we're going to PA school, we're not taking lots of classes on corporate finance. We're not taking classes on, you know, good accounting methods. And not everybody needs to be an expert in those things. But I think when you leave clinical and you're going to something else that's within the business of medicine, having an understanding of how healthcare is delivered, not just clinically, but also from a financial standpoint, from a logistical standpoint or an operational standpoint, those are the areas where as clinicians, we may be lacking. But the good news is those are also areas where there's ample resources to become an expert or bring yourself up to speed. When you have both of those skill sets where you understand the operational or the business side and you have that clinical background, that's where I think healthcare clinicians become very, very valuable. Absolutely. I've I've always said it's one of the most mesmerizing combinations I've ever seen because you Mm -hmm. really have both sides of the brains working on solution-oriented things and a deep perspective of what could actually help. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to touch on something that you said before, Mike, too, uh, regarding burnout. Um, And I listened to your podcast and I want you to plug that later. But um, something that you said before is like, I've never felt burnout a day in my life when I'm I'm at work because I feel like the other opportunities I've had to dig into business and consulting work has really been inspirational for me. So touch on that and how you think that helps burnout. Yeah, I I think, you know, sometimes burnout, it's so tough because it's multifactorial. And as we know, there's many different layers to it. But one of the things that I think can often happen is once you're in your job for some period of time, in my job, I love my patients. I love the relationships that I've built with my patients. But at the same time, I would estimate that maybe 80 to 85% of my visits, I already have a pretty good sense for what I'm going to do in terms of the intervention or change in their medicine before they even come in the door. So I think sometimes clinical work can become somewhat mundane. If you're seeing patients every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, and you're writing the same, you know, six phrases in your chart every single time. And that can be a little bit tough. It can be a little bit um, mind numbing. I want to be cautious here because I really do value the relationships with patients. So this is never about the patients, but rather the tasks. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to diversify really matters. So whether that be even just a simple low threshold way that you could diversify is taking students as a preceptor. A lot of programs will pay you to be a preceptor. And if you're able to maybe, you know, slough off a couple patients each day 
so that you can teach, so that you can slow down and spend a little bit of time precepting, that can really make a big difference. It allows you to give back to the students. It maybe allows you to feel a little bit less um, rushed, Mm -hmm. but then also make up for that financially. Obviously, your employer would have to be, Mm -hmm. you know, participating or in agreement. That's always the second part of it. But little things like that, I think, can make a big difference just to diversify your day so that you're not doing the same thing over and over and over and maybe not Um, having that much critical thinking on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I think of, you know, adjunct faculty positions. uh, There's so many opportunities and it's just the bandwidth to do it. And like you said, burnout is complex. There is the boredom feature to it or, and you know, it's what they actually say clinically um, and uh, with some of the definitions, but it it is the mundane, like you highlighted, that can be part of burnout. And it's just getting kind of um, comfortable with, practicing, I think. Um, and it gets to that level where you're just like, I kind of need something else for innovation or spark different thinking. Uh, and to Jess's point too, having the knowledge on the business side of things and the clinical side of things, it almost allows you to be more intentional, I think, with thoughts uh, of how things are working together and doing things together. So um, yeah, can you speak to any other opportunities you've seen along your career, or the, the path you've journeyed on so far that might be easier or low lift opportunities for people to do something uh, in clinical medicine or even just outside of it? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, adjunct faculty. So anything related to education is often a very good low lift opportunity. Um, and a big reason for that is it doesn't pay very well. Uh, but I think it can be <laughs> incredibly gratifying. Um, it's really wonderful to give back to the students. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to teach. I think for me personally, I'm a better clinician when I am teaching because mm-hmm. it forces me to stay up to date on the most, um, the, the latest data, the latest clinical mm-hmm. updates. So not only is teaching something I enjoy, but it's also something that keeps me accountable as a clinician to make sure that I'm keeping up to date and I'm staying on my toes. So I think anyone that is interested in non-clinical work, calling your, your alumni association or calling the school that you went to and just seeing if there's opportunities. Most places are at least always going to be looking for preceptors or guest lecturers or some sort of adjunct faculty position. You may end up, uh, you know, getting more than you ask for if you call them and say you're willing to help. And then before you know it, they're sending you papers to grade and and all kinds of site visits and other things to do. But I think teaching is a great opportunity. The other one that I would identify as a low lift opportunity is medical communication and writing. And the reason for this is most medical writing is gig work. It's freelance work. So you don't have to make the jump where you're quitting your day job. Maybe you're unsure, you know, that if you want to leave clinical medicine or you think you may want to leave, but you're not sure where to go. Medical writing is great because very often you can network, you can start plugging into those communities and then find one or two gigs writing things and see if you like it, see if it's something you're good at. Obviously, writing is a skill set that uh, does take some practice, but this is an opportunity where you can do a couple things. You can add it to your CV. You can start to build your CV towards being a medical writer without having to quit your job, without having to make that commitment to, to leave clinical practice and everything that is comfortable with clinical work. Now, how did you get into hosting your own podcast? Like, What was the thought process behind that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. There's a, a couple different aspects to that. 
So my colleague, John McDonald, and I started the podcast. And one of the big reasons we did it is we would get together every so often. And he's a pharmacist. So very often we would, you know, talk shop. We would talk healthcare, And because we're different professionally, I'm in psychiatry and he's in pharmacy, we wouldn't talk about, you know, patient care necessarily. We wouldn't talk about clinical work. We rather mm-hmm. would talk about difficulties getting this medication covered or how prior authorizations are navigated. And our talks almost always ended up being more focused on the business side of healthcare. And with that, we often would talk about independent contracting. We would talk about opportunities to do industry work in terms of marketing. And we realized that we didn't really know of anyone else that was having these conversations. So we started doing some Google searches. We started looking to see, are there resources out there for non-clinical work, but also really career development for healthcare? And what we found is there was a couple little pockets of resources, but not a whole lot out there. And that, I think, goes in line with what we were talking about earlier, is most people in healthcare spend the majority of their training and their time and their energy and their resources towards becoming the best clinician that they can be. And that's really good. We want good clinicians. But at the same time, we need to have discussions about, hey, what do you do if you're burned out? Or is it okay to be a 1099 provider versus a W-2? And how do I negotiate this contract? Is it fair for me to ask for more PTO? All of these are questions that we felt like there wasn't enough of a voice out there. So we started the podcast really to just try and bring light to this and help people understand that just because you work in healthcare doesn't mean that you can't negotiate for a higher pay raise or that you can't look for other opportunities that maybe are non-clinical or find side hustles doing other things. So our hope is that we can just continue to help educate people that there is more out there. If you love your clinical job, great. But If you don't love your clinical job, or maybe you're feeling burnt out, maybe you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, there are other opportunities for side hustles, opportunities to maybe drop down to part-time, and then fill in with other things that maybe you'll find more gratifying. Now, with that venture, did you guys deal with imposter syndrome or nerves or anything like that? And can you walk us through that? So with the podcast, no. And one of the big reasons for it, I've had imposter syndrome many times over. So I'm no stranger to it. But with the podcast, I don't think we did. And one of the big reasons for it is when we started it about a year ago, John and I were both in positions that we were doing a significant level of consulting work. So we both went into it recognizing that this was something that we didn't necessarily need to have success in to pay the mortgage. So it was a bit of a passion project, but also we recognized that success for us could very well be just, you know, putting our names out there, having more networking opportunities that would then lead to more consulting opportunities. So I think from the start, we had pretty low expectations for what we were looking to achieve. And that was really helpful because obviously, as you guys know, as you're starting this, that there is a learning curve when you're on a new medium, when you're learning how to do things from a a video or audio standpoint, it it may seem easy, but there's a lot that goes into it. So thankfully, I think we expected nothing from it. And when we started having success and when we started to kind of build a, a loyal listener audience, it really was exciting. But at no point did we feel like, oh my gosh, we're not meant to be here. So that was helpful. And I think that's the important piece to anyone trying anything new is ensuring to match the expectations and also defining what your level of success means to you and making that appropriate. 
Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. And I think that's so hard in healthcare because for most of us, we work jobs where we're compensated very well. You know, PA, NP, PharmD, RNs are all making well above the average salary in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to think about you know, alternate endeavors that may not necessarily pay the same as what you can make in a clinical job right up front. There's some return on investment that may be a little bit delayed. And I think that can be scary for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're a year into the podcast. So of course, I'm going to ask you, like, what lessons have you learned? Or what has been the highlights of the past year for you guys then? All right. Right off the top of my head, the lesson that I've learned personally, is networking. And so the story behind this is, shockingly, I was not someone who really was good at networking. I did not really prioritize it. I did a good amount of consulting, and I had you know word of mouth that had built up, and I had relationships that way. But I didn't really think about healthcare as a career or a field where networking was needed. You know, I thought of networking as going to, you know, an alumni association dinner and handing out business cards in a cheap suit, and I thought about it as something that you know financial services guys did, not necessarily healthcare. And when we started the podcast, my co-host John who is one of the most extroverted, relationally driven people I've ever met, and I love him for it. He really pushed me, hey, you are leaving so much on the table by not networking or not being intentional in your networking. So me personally, one of the biggest things that I've learned in the past year from the podcast is from John that networking is so valuable in healthcare. And as a result, I've been much more intentional about making sure that I'm making new contacts, that I'm making new introductions, that I'm fostering those relationships. It can be something as simple as just sending a quick email to someone after I've met them. Hey, so nice to make your acquaintance. You know, we'll definitely keep in touch down the road. Those little things matter. And down the road, it is really incredible to have these contacts and LinkedIn, I think is so good for this because it allows you an opportunity to make those connections and then always circle back to those people down the road if you needed to. And already in the past year, there's been multiple opportunities for me that have been driven exclusively by networking. I've been trying to get into medical writing more. I'm trying to diversify my consulting work. And the last two projects that I've done as a medical writer were editorials where I was able to find these opportunities specifically through LinkedIn and making connections with people that I hadn't prior previously met. So my big takeaway is networking. But beyond that, I think it's just been really cool to meet a lot of interesting people. We've been trying to have people onto the show that have atypical career paths that have maybe taken a different route and gone non-clinical. And there's just so much to learn. And I think a lot of times there's some common key themes that come out through that. Even if you have a different path or you have a different career choice, networking obviously being one of them, the soft skills that come with clinical work and the ability to relate with patients, the ability to to really be good at that customer-focused uh, you know, side of medicine. These things all matter and really can benefit you regardless of the path you want to pursue. What do you think the most important thing about successful networking is? Being authentic. Mm, I think if you, are ne- if you are networking and the purpose of your networking is just to collect as many contacts as you can, that may work. But if you need something, if you are then calling someone up and saying, hey, we met six months ago, can you help me out with this? 
that may not necessarily be a connection where they're going to follow through. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with every person that you connect with, but being genuine, I think is really an important thing. So for example, if I'm meeting someone, if I go to a conference and I exchange business cards or I meet someone new, if I'm going to send them an email, I don't want to send them some obviously canned generic email. I'll say, I think it's better to send one or two sentences that are original, thought out, and specific to that person, as opposed to just sending a you know blank, um, you know, f- generic email that is clearly not specific to them. So being genuine, having those connections where the the person that you're connecting with, that you're networking with feels like they're a valued member of your professional network. I think that really goes a long way. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love your point too of in medicine, it never really was a practice to network. We never had to because, you know, there's so many options or jobs and, and things that just pop up and it's never really been a priority. I think for a lot of people, unless you start having this the side stuff or you do like non-traditional practices in medicine, then you really start to see how valuable it is to be, um, you know, taking on the extroverted persona for a little while to actually go out and network. So I love that point. Um, so yeah, so now are I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so are you naturally extroverted or are you an introvert that participates in extrovertness for certain things? <laughs> Yes. So I'm not an expert. Someone who does the ananograms and all that can, can analyze me after listening to this, but I I think I am the second one. I think that is that that's an ambivert, right? I think so. So I believe so. My, I think my natural state outside of my professional job is more introverted. A, A good day for me is, you know, snuggling up on the couch and watching Netflix or, you know, going on a hike, doing things that are more individualistic activities. But professionally, I do enjoy meeting new people. I enjoy learning from new people. I really value whether it be my patients or even professionally as an, if, in terms of networking or consulting. Mm-hmm. I feel like every interaction that I enter, there's an opportunity for me to come away from it learning something new. Some of my best recipes I like to cook, some of my best recipes have come from my patients. So there's just so much opportunity to always grow if you are inquisitive and you value these interactions. So it's not something I necessarily would consider myself to naturally do, but when I'm intentional about it, I do enjoy it. And I recognize the benefit that comes from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing, the intentionality of it so that you're actually driving connection versus the superficial small talk that, especially as an introvert can get you a little bit trained. Absolutely. Becky, do you have any, one more question before we wrap it up? Um, I would say, so kind of piggybacking off the networking thing. So let's say, uh, you know, I'm a little more introverted and I know there's several people who are on the introvert world with me. What would be a first step for somebody in medicine? Who's just like, I need to get out there. I need to go network with some different people or different groups. How would you say to go about that in a way that feels comfortable maybe for somebody who's introverted? I think LinkedIn is a great, great tool. If you're an introvert and the idea of going to a conference and going around to people and handing out business cards or just going up to strangers and introducing yourself sounds intimidating, then start on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. because LinkedIn is essentially a conference virtually. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful opportunity where you can seek out people that may have similar interests to you, people that are in a similar industry or 
aspirationally, if you are someone who says, I want to be in this field of medicine, or I want to go do this non-clinical job, you can find people on LinkedIn that are either also aspiring to be in that role or have already achieved that role. And LinkedIn is such a great platform because it is completely accepted and fine to just out of the blue message them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've met people that way. Becky, I think this is how you and I met, just cold call (laughs) on LinkedIn. Yeah. But you just reach out and you say, hey, I I was reviewing your profile and you look great. Like you're doing so many awesome things and I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to, to talk more. That's a really great way to dip your toes in the world of networking without feeling completely overwhelmed. If you a year ago had told me that I would be going to conferences and making conversations with complete strangers, I would have laughed at you. And yet John McDonald has made me into this quasi extrovert, I guess. So... But it is something where I think you you can build up to it. It can be a skill, just like anything else that we do in life, in our careers. You know, we want to continue to grow. We want to build our skill set and networking and building those relationships, being personable, being genuine is a skill set that can be developed. It's not something that just has to be innate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the perk of LinkedIn is that you almost have more background about someone before you even do a message. So you can Mm -hmm. make it personalized, you can make it genuine, and you can reach out to individuals that you actually have an interest in. Or you could just like post and go into your clinical hours and like hide for a little bit when you do your first post. It's easier. I like it. Yes. Post and hide. That's I I like the strategy. (laughs) We're going to patent it. There you go. Well, I love it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today, John or yeah. Michael. Oh, that's okay. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> Glad of that. Yeah. yeah we, thank you so much. This, we had the opportunity to learn John yeah. on the show too, and uh, learning something from yes. his extrovertedness has been amazing. He's he's awesome. Yes, you already recorded with him, right? We yes, did. Yeah. 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 How how'd that go? It was good. He's so good. fun. Yeah. He's he's, yeah. he's crazy extroverted. Yeah. He's hilarious. I told Jess, I said the first time I talked with him, it's like we went to college together. Like he picked up the yep. phone. And we're yeah. like, oh, he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know you. <laughs> yep. he's awesome. Yeah. I mean, for our podcast, we really appreciate it because we're so different. Yeah. Because I am very much a, a serious, sober-minded mm-hmm. content guy. And he is yeah. the charismatic, relationally driven guy that drives the show. So I think we've both benefited yeah. professionally from it. But also... Yeah. I yeah. just, I appreciate it because he, his strengths are my weaknesses and yeah. Yeah. and it really is nice. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. it went well. I asked him how it went and he was like, oh yeah, it went really well. You love to listen. I was like, oh, why are you being vague? Like I, I actually want to hear about it. So he, would, he wouldn't spill the beans. So I can't wait to hear yeah. it. He did such a great job. Such a great job. So Mike, where can people find you? What social platforms are you on? And give us the name of your podcast. Sure. So how hilarious if I wasn't on LinkedIn, but you can find me predominantly on LinkedIn. So you can just look up Michael Asbach and you can also check out our podcast. It's called White Coats of the Round Table. We're on all major streaming platforms. And you can also go to our website, www.whitecoatsoftheroundtable.com for more information and lots of resources regarding non-clinical work. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Leadership Pulse. Thank you.